There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My guest this week is Jordan Hales, video editor for MLSE and host of the Yo Sticks podcast. Jordan, thanks for joining me. Oh, I am very thankful and happy to be here. Thank you for one this podcast because it's amazing and two thanks for shouting out my podcast i didn't even expect that thank you yo no i was listening well I'll get to this at the end because i was definitely gonna plug it but i was listening to the first episode i was expecting uh something light it was it was like the opposite man it was uh <laughs> i had to stop listening at one point just to pause and reflect at one point but we'll talk about that we'll definitely talk about your pod for sure. um you know the reason i you know i i wanted you on is because you know we i've been looking at Twitter, like probably most people right now, just like looking at Twitter way, way too much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like obviously you and I are very online anyway, um, mm-hmm. but like it's it, especially with what's going on right now, like it's just like nonstop. You can't put it down. Like every night I'm like up till like 3 a.m. just like looking at my phone when I should just be going to sleep. But, um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about just sort of tangible actions that we can take um, from all of this sort of outrage and all the protesting and all the sort of just like um the will you know what i mean um mm-hmm. and inspiration after you see something uh as heinous as you know the killing of george floyd at the hands of four minneapolis police officers you know for me when i think about these things and i sort of really did a lot of reflection as i hope a lot of people did um you know i came down to sort of thinking about how can i affect the world around me because realistically that's all most people can do not most people aren't that powerful but you have the power to at least change the world around you and maybe little by little you can make a bigger change and i'm I'm thinking you know directly about employment thinking a lot about employment and this is something that has been a subject that i think i saw um suna she brought it up 416 and you know you know she sort of started calling out outlets especially in toronto sporting outlets as to sort of what kind of black voices do you have and yeah yeah this is just such a big problem and i've always thought about this it's always been on my mind because i've been in these newsrooms and it's i've you know i'm not black but like i it's 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 not even about that man it's like the whole Mm -hmm. newsroom is white and male like period Mm -hmm. that's like Mm -hmm. 80 percent. i'm not even kidding in a lot of places so I just want to ask you, like, what's what's been your experience like working in Canadian media? We can go from there. Oh, man. Okay. So my experience in Canadian media starts really in college because I went to Mohawk College in Hamilton and mm-hmm. I took uh, TV broadcasting and that was a three-year program. And for those three years, I can count on one hand how many black students were in the program and how many black students graduated. It was two of us I graduated in the TV broadcasting portion of it and then one black woman um, who graduated in the radio department so that's three of us in three years that graduated the program you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and then from there um, from working as an assistant editor or even like a show editor it's really just been me uh, in terms of 
um, the representation in the post-production side. And sometimes even the production side in general, it's no more than two black people. And that is a reality that I've been uh, exposed to even till now. You know what I'm saying? Like working at MLSC, I'm the only black editor that's there, Um, Mm. whether it's like freelance or on staff, right? And that's something that is um, part of my purpose in terms of wanting to get that diversity behind the screen because as much as we see like you know black hosts or other hosts of color like on camera behind the scenes it's not really there you know what i'm saying yep. like i'm okay. fortunate enough to have a lot of black co-workers it's still not a lot but the fact that i have a bunch that i interact with on a day-to-day basis because um there is another black a black woman editor she's biracial uh so basically, and, and there are other editors of color, but when you're talking about just strictly black, that there is not a lot of visibility with that. And that's a reality that we really have to prepare ourselves for, like when we're going out into the world after like school is done and whatnot. And then that's the expectation that you have to face wherever you work because it's a freelance uh, based career and you're going from different production houses and different post-production houses and working on so many different projects, you're often running into the same, like, you know, producers or showrunners or directors. But every time that you step into these spaces, you're going to be one of two Black people, maybe, or it's just going to be you. So that's been my experience, and I've been working in the field since 2013 in a number of buildings, but it's often just been me or like another person, but that's not been uh, the reality in terms of a lot of diversity. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, you know, based on what I've observed and I've only worked at two newsrooms. Um, well, I guess I worked at the school newspaper at McMaster too, but uh, I've only worked in three newsrooms and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one or two every single time. And I, I think it's, you know, we can get into the reasons why that might be and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, um, th- it just probably has to feel really isolating. And I think it has to feel really disproportionate. Um, you know, I, I mean, I know when I walked into the score, you know, 2014, I was the only, I was the only Asian person there, um, you know, in, in the writing department. And I, I think that for me alone was, was pretty isolating just to be in that environment. Um, but I think especially with something like sports, I mean, you know, when you look at the NBA, mm-hmm. I, at least 70% of the league is black. Um, when you look at the NFL, um, I don't watch as much football, but I would think it's probably at least 60, 70%. Um, and, you know, I, I watch a lot of soccer. It's Soccer is also an incredibly black sport as well. Um, it, that, that just doesn't get reflected in the media. And it's um, I, I guess I guess the question I want to ask is like, what is the responsibility of sports outlets to be reflective of the the athletes they cover, the leagues that they cover, and just to have diverse voices in general? Um, well, first off, let me say shout out to my uncle Mike at the score. You know, you didn't shout know out. it's a family yeah. affair. You know what I mean? <laughs> Climate, baby. Yeah. Um, my God. Well, yeah, man. That, that, that's uh, I love that guy, obviously. And when it comes to the responsibility that these newsrooms and media outlets have, 
it's part of an overall system that has already been put in place because it's it starts at the top and then it just trickles down. It's like, okay, I'm going to bring in who essentially looks like me, who I know is like, okay, I've worked with this person. They have between a white male. I trust this white male. And then they can bring on their friends and family and their friends and family and their sisters and their brothers and their aunts and nieces. So it's nepotism at the end of the day, right? Because everyone has their unconscious biases that they need to unlearn and they need to change the system of how they're hiring and doing their hiring practices. I can admit that I only got my job at MLSC and I've been, you know, uh, fortunate enough to bounce around to different places because of who I know. And that is hard as a black person to even do because we have to go in, we have to maintain our, like, you know, our good behavior, establish good relationships with people. But at the same time, we also have to be really good at our jobs while navigating all the microaggressions and discrimination that we may face. So the fact that I've been able to do that and get to a lot of these entities like uh, an alibi entertainment like vice and now currently MLSC, but that's all through relationship building. But when it comes to these outlets that have the control to change the narrative in terms of who is in their newsrooms, who is in their edit suites, who is on the road, who is uh, on camera, who's behind camera, who's making all these editorial decisions, it's on them. They have to really reflect and be like, hmm, there's a problem here because we're covering all these Black athletes, but we don't have Black voices. So it's not on us as people of color or even Black people specifically to tell them that it's something that needs to be changed. We can tell them that it's something that needs to be changed, but they have to care enough to be like, huh, you know what? This is something that we should address. And how do we go about doing that? And not enough media outlets or companies in general, because this is a, this is a universal thing are doing that. They're not doing that self-observation to be like, Hmm, how can I change this so that this can truly be diverse, that this can truly be inclusive, and that the right people are representing us and representing these athletes so that we can get the best product, you know, in, in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think about that, you know, to your point, like, yeah, the, the content, it's, it's always, at the end of the day, if you're making content, if you're in this industry, like the content always has to be good. Yeah, And I think one of the issues that is out there is the people deciding what content is good and what's not and people who's judging this, mostly um, editors and people in hiring positions, like they don't have, um, maybe it's a blind spot or maybe something else, but it's just like, that isn't necessarily always um, seen to to them. Mm -hmm. And then I I think the other part of it is just, you know, it it makes you in a situation where like, I I would say this, so I read a lot of um, coverage of, like Chinese news, right? Right. And right. and a lot of that is done through Western outlets. And when I when I see something like, um, if you're going to cover something across the world, like in China, you should probably speak Chinese. You should probably have lived there. You should have probably have some experience, right? Because otherwise, well, how are you able to relay some of this information over? You can do your very best to cover it, but it's going to feel incomplete. 
And so, you know, naturally, a lot of, you know, correspondents are, you know, Chinese or their, their, their background is Chinese and they, they're able to sort of that converse in these cultures and they're familiar with it. And that way it's more complete as coverage. And I think, you know, it, it, in the same way, like obviously everyone's American, everyone's Canadian, you know, everyone can speak English, but it's not the same thing. Like you're, you're, you, know, you don't belong. To, a lot of people who cover this team, like, and cover sports in general, do not belong to the culture. Mm-hmm. And that's, then that's okay. But it's one, you know, a situation where, you know, if you go into the Raptors media room, if, you know, uh, a Pascal Siakam gets on a conference call and he talks to a bunch of reporters, the reporters that are asking him questions, the reporters that have to ask him a question like right now about, you know, a protest going on across the world, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the United States, um, you know, who are these reporters asking them? And it's the same people that are there. And honestly, none of them look like Pascal. I don't mm-hmm. look like Pascal. Mm-hmm. You know, like a majority of the people there are white and they're male. Yep. And again, this is, you know, it's, it's maybe, it's not necessarily maybe by design or anything like that. And I'm not really trying to like, you know, single out specific people because there's so many, uh, it's, it's a, it's a reflection of the failure in general, but it leads to awkward situations. Like I, you know, there one of the questions that was asked was just, Hey, Pascal, you know, um, you know, have you faced basically racial discrimination? And mm-hmm. to me, I was sitting there in this press conference and I'm thinking like, wow, wh- how could you just outright ask him something like that mm-hmm. because you the know, thing is it's just like it's not something that they have to think about on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and when you look at the fact that look nobody is saying that someone so white male journalist reporter or white woman journalist reporter didn't work hard to get to where they're at right exactly. no one is saying that they didn't get to where they're at just like you as an asian man you didn't work hard to get to where you're at but at the same time, what needs to be recognized is it's like you, white person, were preferred to be in this position because when it comes to the stereotypes and also the biases of how um, those in power and those in command look at talent from an intellectual and academic level, they mm-hmm. don't necessarily look at black people as such because we have to be the top of the line exception to the rule just like oh they're all this you know what i'm saying like it's uh obama had a quote in the last dance when he said that you know when it comes to black people being figures you have to like when you're accepting of a michael jordan or an oprah or barack obama like you have to be the best of the best as long as you do not ruffle the feathers of, you know, the infrastructure that's been put in place, right? Like, you have to be clean cut and, like, nothing on you or else they're going to look at you as such. That's why it was so commendable when um, Tyrone Edwards, shout out to T-Rex, uh, when he broke down crying uh, on that piece on the, on, the, on the social, and he was just like, listen... I've had to set aside all of my emotion, all of my rage, all of my frustrations and navigating through working in media as a black man. And I can't be angry. You know what I'm saying? But he has done so much great work to get to where he's at, but he has to be so exceptional. Whereas if you're a startup journalist, just coming out of whatever a college or university uh, that you went to and you're black, getting an opportunity is basically damn near impossible because mm-hmm. there are probably 
10 to 20 ahead of you. And then you have to do everything outside of what you would uh, conventionally go through into getting a job. And you have to go through so many different hurdles and so many different hoops and duck through fire and, you know, do the matrix under all these obstacles. Like it's just, it's just, it's a never ending, um, just roller coaster just to get into the door. You know what I'm saying? Whereas others, they can just walk on by or they can send one email, they can make one phone call and then they're in. And that's mm-hmm. how easy it is for them. And no one's saying that they should feel guilty about that. It's just like, it's the system that's been put in place to give you an advantage over me. And that's mm-hmm. the reality that a lot of people are starting to understand that happens to a lot of black people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, on top of this sort of just being unfair in the first place to have your odds so stacked against you is that so much of sports and sports media plays out through social media. And, you know, this is a whole other subject, but it, it's, you know, a lot of these brands and a lot of these outlets, um, you know, speak about these things. They co-opt the culture. Um, they borrow the language. But then when you think back on who's actually doing the tweeting, like I'm not saying it's like that meme that you see on a lot of Bleacher Report accounts. Mm-hmm. Where it's not, there's that like little teenage white kid, like just like tweeting out like on his phone and mm-hmm. they're like mocking the message. But honestly, when you look at it, a lot of it is kind of like that. It's And I think that's that's something that's especially... Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's obviously a different medium. It's a different thing. But what's a what's really the difference between something like that and like putting on a black scent? You know. Honestly, it's um, the authenticity behind a a black voice when it comes to like who's sending out these tweets and who's making this kind of content. You can tell, and really, everyone needs to. Uh, give a uh, hamburger helper like their flowers because hamburger helper was really like the first one uh, who integrated to go there. <laughs> I, I know, I know, right? That's a, I just switched it up. I just hit you with like random okay. haymakers. But hamburger helper was really the first one to kind of integrate black culture into social media on a business level, and then everybody kind of jumped on that. You know what I'm saying? And then people are just like, huh. If we just find somebody who's like kind of hip to the culture and they don't necessarily need to be black, then we've done our job. But it's just like you see it reflected all over the place. And like, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned like, you know, Bleacher Report and stuff like that because they uh, obviously have a reputation of doing that. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, white kids who listen to hip hop or listen to trap and like, you know, wear all this streetwear and all this other stuff and say that they're down for the cause and then anything that they do is basically amplified more than black entertainers or black voices, especially when it comes to like, you know, an example is TikTok where mm-hmm. uh, the renegade dance yep. was, um, it was invented by a black girl, but mm-hmm. it was a bunch of white girls who basically oh, yeah. copied it and then they got amplified. And then oh, because they of the- were making Pascal, they were making Nicola. Oh Yoke, my God. And then yeah. The only reason why the black girl got invited to the all-star game, because everyone's just like, wait a second, this black wow. girl made this, but if these white girls are taking on the credit. That's not right. And now yeah. basically that's been corrected. But the fact that that's every day, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it's just like, it, it, it's just yeah. frustrating because we as black people, 
we're always trying to fight for something, but it's just like, how you got to fight all the time. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, no, it's exhausting just like looking at it from afar, man. Like it's just, you know, um, and by, by the way, I should just say like very clearly, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, n- non-black people of color do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot borrowed in, in our cultures. And, and I think honestly, like speaking as an immigrant, like when you, when you come to this country, and depending on, I mean, not all immigrants are the same status. Uh, some people are very rich when they come as immigrants and they can have obviously more options and different situations they live in. But like, honestly, when you come to this country as an immigrant and you're trying to adapt because everything is foreign to you, you know, like who are you, who accepts you, who gravitates, who you do you gravitate towards? And like, I think a lot of that does lead to, um, you know, uh, just you're learning culture either way. You're either learning white culture, you're learning black culture, you're learning, you know, Hispanic culture, you're looking whatever culture, cause you're not, you're new to this place, but there's a lot of co-opting that goes on, right? When you look at like a Lily Singh, for example, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily fine to do that as a kid, but when you're a kid, like obviously you're less aware, you're not really sure what you're doing, you're not really sure where you're going. But at some point, you know, you lose the ability to say you weren't aware, you weren't conscientious and when you go the extra step of really monetizing that without mm-hmm. giving something back then mm-hmm. that's something that's especially you know it, it's 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 not just a white problem in that sense and um you know uh yeah like it's i, I don't know man this issue with sports media has just been there for a while i remember like a couple of years ago I, I was doing like a hoop talks event and uh you know we were talking about this this very same issue and that was probably 2016 and it's come up again four years later, and it's just going to keep coming up because I think these systems have to change. And I, that's where if you do feel bad and if you do feel, you know, rage and if you do feel anger over all the injustices that are being played out, like that's where you can take a tangible role, If you, especially if you're in a hiring capacity mm-hmm. in your own life to affect change, right? You're not going to change the whole world. You're not the president, um, mm-hmm. but you can probably change, you know, your own world. And Exactly, and, and that's it's not it just starts. sports media, too, man. It's probably like that in most corporate cultures. Fuck. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Look, that's why you know all of all of these companies and corporations who are dropping like you know the little black boxes and their and their uh, PR statements of solidarity, and then everybody was quote retweeting them with uh, "Wait, this you?" Because yep. Yep. listen, receipts are getting uh, pulled up and. If your diversity numbers do not match the amount of your Black Lives Matter tweets, and we have nothing to talk about, you know, know what this, I'm saying? This you is on like a Fred VanVleet senior. Listen, run. Listen, seven from, ga- from, game. Game, from game four, from game four onwards, that's the yep. kind of run that they're on right now. Yep. And it lately has just been fourth quarter, game six, like mm-hmm. everything wet. <laughs> Man, um, yeah. And then, you know, I think the the worst part about something like this is, I'm not the worst part, but I think one thing that's really infuriating mm-hmm. is when you see, I think especially this is a more of a local problem, but when you see something like this happening in the States, you always see variations, usually from Americans, say things like I saw a tweet that's been going around that was like, uh, Canada must think they live next door to a meth lab. And it's like, what you're trying to say there is just like, okay, the problems of America are pretty bad and mm-hmm. whatever. But I think a lot of people really have this perception that Canada is immune to these things. You have Doug Ford literally coming out and saying there is no systemic racism in Canada, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, that was you funny. have like a 
you know, uh, a, a major columnist in the National Post writing, there is no systemic racism in Canada and echoing those thoughts. And it's just, it, it's, it's infuriating because it's just absolutely not true. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for, for Canadians, like, yes, it is, I would say comparatively, it's better than the States, but the, what is an acceptable amount of racism that doesn't exist? There's exactly. no point in comparing something like that. Exactly. And that's something that I've like been having discussions even today. And actually just to to that tweet, um, shout out to Darren. He was like, uh, he retweeted and it's just like, no, we just live in a nicer meth lab. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, when people, and a lot of like, you know, black Canadians do this too. And I guess uh, white Canadians do it as well. In terms of the drawing comparisons of racism in the States and in Canada, I'm just like, it makes no sense to do that because racism is racism no matter what the severity is. Because Mm -hmm. if you're going to compare Canada and the United States, then compare Canada to a, a lot of countries in South America and Europe and Asia and you know what I mean? It's just like, it doesn't make any sense because it's the same thing, no matter if it's overt, covert, blatant in your face or, you know, behind your back mm-hmm. and in different ways. But racism exists in so many different variables from microaggressions to discrimination to like, you know, to unconscious bias. Like there's a lot of factors that uh, play into what racism actually looks like. So yeah, white people in Canada are actually, you know, well, that does exist. Like, you know, they just be out here flying out the, the wild N-word. But at the same time, like, um, their white, white citizens are not just out here roaming around sh- uh, shooting black kids down. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. because the United States has a more violent history and when their racism is more direct and it's more brutalized and it's more verbal, you can't compare that because that's just not what's in Canada's fabric. Although Canada has its own version of their evil racism that they've been um, holding on to for so long. And the fact that politicians are just now recognizing it Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense because they've been told for so from so many people, even people in their own staff that it exists. But then again, when you look at their cabinets, they're all white and around their age, like middle age. So they're like boomer ages. So mm-hmm. it's just like, what is it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's no comparison to it because really when you know that racism exists, but you don't acknowledge it, that's worse than the racism that is blatantly in your face. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I would say this to draw it to a basketball comparison, because it is technically a basketball podcast. Like, yeah, you look like you look like the swaggy P meme when you're celebrating Canada <laughs> not being as racist, man. The ball's halfway down the hoop, but it is not going in. All right. Like, that's what you look like. And, and it's like, I, I think people get it twisted in, in a certain way because, you know, you see, like, if you're in Toronto, like, you're, you're, you look out the window, you're, I mean, depending, I guess, where you are, but if you look out the window, you're seeing people of all backgrounds, people from all mm-hmm. sorts of walks of life. And that's that's beautiful. That's amazing. I love that about Canada. You know, like the, the fact that, you know, they've had um, uh, from, I guess, post-World War II onward, they've had such a uh, open and welcoming, um, you know, immigration system. You know, that's allowed my family to come here. 
Um, that's allowed so many people to come to Toronto. I think Toronto is now over 50% uh, people of color, which is just amazing. And a lot of people weren't even born here. And that's yeah. great. That's a great yeah. idea. But just because you see people here, just because you're able to see them, does not mean this is an equal society by any means. Exactly. And, and again, it is better than most other countries, like, you know, in terms of immigration policy, if you want to compare that. But that doesn't mean the job is done, man. Don't exactly. be, don't be a swaggy still- P in the sense. Exactly. We still have our shit that we have to deal with. I'm sorry. I can't curse. Uh, we still have... No, you our... can, man. But whatever. Oh, I can? All right, yeah. cool. We still have our shit that we have to deal with. Yep. And it doesn't it doesn't help when you keep saying like, oh, well, it's not as bad here. It's not as bad here. Well, that takes away from the efforts that a lot of black activists have been working towards in trying to reverse in terms of the anti-black racism that happens in their own city in racial profiling by the police, in, you know, just the hiring practices of all these corporations and just how difficult it is to navigate in political structures and pretty much any structure that black people should be in, but their lives are hell to be Mm -hmm. put in. You know what I'm saying? So it's just Mm -hmm. like, you can't, you can't diminish the efforts of those who've been telling y'all that racism exists by saying that it's not as bad. And then that way, the politicians would be like, oh, you see, we're fine. We don't have to do as much just because our cops are seemingly not killing uh, black people to the extent of, like, you know, at the rate of, like, how our American counterparts are. It's not true. There's 10 times, we have 10 times less the population in the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure if we had that much and, like, you know, pretty similar laws, then it would be the same issue, but just, it's, it's just, it's just like when people try to quantify stuff and, and, and try to go struggle for struggles, it's like, you're, it's really defeating the entire purpose of what the overall goal is. And it's trying to diminish racism. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I, I think from my perspective, there's, there's kind of a disconnect. I think this is maybe just my observation and maybe it's mm-hmm. not true, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a disconnect for a lot of people. Right. And I think, you know, this is something that um, Jalen Rose said recently, you know, I wish you would love black people as much as love black culture. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, uh, especially people who just aren't black, they could be people of color, people, white people, whatever, but not black. They see the players, they see Masai, they, they root for the players. They love the team. It's an amazing team. They love basketball, mm-hmm. everything about mm-hmm. basketball culture. But then, like, once the TV goes off or once, like, yep. you turn off your phone, it's yep. like somehow that's over and it's disconnected. They return to their world and they take with them what they want, but they don't actually. Exactly. I think they just they just miss the humanity of what what, what what's what they're looking at. Right. And I think that that in itself just has to. I mean, I don't know. I think that just has to end. But I think there's no more excuse to, to not be and- aware of what you're doing exactly and and the craziest thing is and i kind of came to a realization because like when you see like you know white people being like you know what i got to look at myself in the mirror i got to like you know do better and i really wasn't aware of all this other stuff just like wait wait a second it just clicked to me like y'all don't have black friends like the most that a lot of people especially in the sports industry who are like you know uh covering basketball covering like any kind of sport they can go their entire lives like, you know, without really having any uh, interactions with black people on a daily, on a personal basis, right? If the only time that you are interacting with black people is within your profession, within your nine to five, 
And then you can just go home. You can unplug. You don't have to interact with another black person until the next time that you clock in. That you're not going to understand, um, you know, the discrimination that you may have or the prejudice that you may have towards your black counterparts or just how you look at other black people when they're not in your professional setting. And it's just like, yeah, you don't know at all because you don't interact with black people at all. So yeah, you have to be told like, yeah, this is actually wrong and you have to look in the mirror and you have to self-reflect and you have to think about your behaviors and what you're teaching your family, uh, how you're interacting with your white friends or your other friends of color. Uh, and it's just like, everything is, is a teaching moment and it's not on black people to tell you how to treat us better. You need to go out there, do your own research so that you can further educate yourself into being a better person. So that way you can slowly, you know, reverse the trend of, uh, of the effect that anti-black racism has built upon for centuries. Yeah. And I, I think when you try to have some of these conversations um, with people, I, I guess, I guess one thing that comes up is sort of people immediately feel blame or at fault and they sort of get really saddled in um, sort of their, it's like almost being in horror of like, oh my God, I'm a monster. And like, that's something exactly. that's just not productive. Like, first off, most of the time, it's not, it's not your fault. Like you didn't really like go out and actively seek all these traits. It's sort of just right. the, the society and the construct teaches you things both implicitly and sometimes very explicitly uh, of, of what it is. And so you pick up a lot of racism just because of that. But I, I think, you know, when you're confronted with some of these things and you think about it and you feel that shame, you just really just got to push through it, man. Because um, it, it's when you, when you, when, when people come to you with a problem, like the, the worst thing that you could, well, not the worst thing, I guess one of the things that is least productive is um, centering yourself and centering your feelings and making about, you know, um, oh man, I've overlooked something. I, I've done something bad. I'm, I'm a bad person. Like, exactly. that's, just, that's not productive. Like when I see exactly. these things, when the statements come out of people are like, you know, I've been thinking so much about what to say, you know, I'm feeling terrible and like, it's my fault. I'm just like, you can just work that out on your own time, man. Like, exactly. It's just like, don't, <laughs> like, don't pivot like what the overall conversation is by saying yeah. that, oh, you, like you're like this bad person. Just listen. Cause you take up space when you do that. Exactly. It's just like, look, it's like, at one point, yes, it's about like, you know, you doing your own self-reflection, but it's just like, look, this is what the cause is. This is how I can do better. And really, it's all about educating yourself on how to be a better ally. Because allies are necessary in every form of life. You know what I'm saying? Like, whether mm -hmm. it's personal, whether it's professional, whether it's platonic, it's, it's something that will help Black people you know, get further because if you have allies in, let's keep it the sports. If you have allies in the newsroom, you can just be like, Hmm, you know what? I have some really dope and talented black journalist friends that I feel could be really great to tell this story or for this interview and whatnot. A lot of white people in their position do not want to relinquish their position because they feel like, I work so hard for this. I don't want to give up 
like, you know, my position or my power or, or, or feel like I have to throw away my career just for somebody else, uh, somebody black to take my position. Just like, that's not what we're trying to do here. We just want equal opportunity to be in the room. Mm-hmm. And you can help that by instituting change, by uh, elevating our needs to the people in charge so that they can be like, you know what? All right, cool. Let's do this. Let's make this change. And then that's how you create a new cycle so that it's equal across the board and that Mm -hmm. it's fair because right now it's just unfair and it's so difficult for us to get in the building. And it's just like, bro, we're not asking for a lot. It's asking for, you know, allyship and assistance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, we could talk about this, the same conversation, um, for hours, honestly, because there's just like there's so many layers to this. I think, and absolutely, I think so much of it is not recognized or maybe not even seen. Right, um, but you know, I, I think it's 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 important. I think. I mean, I, and that's that's really my been my biggest takeaway. Then, and um, yeah, I mean, it's weird to pivot to basketball, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's there's fine, some the Raptors news. Do you want to talk Raptors? <laughs> yes, man. I I feel like I haven't talked Raptors in months. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, same, actually, even though I somehow t- do this for a job. There's been nothing to talk about, <laughs> let's be honest. I don't know how people are concerned, yeah. but I appreciate it. Um, okay, so the NBA seems like they're going to be uh, approving um, a return to play schedule. It seems to be 22 teams, uh, the 16 playoff teams, plus six more teams that are within six games of uh, the playoffs. Uh, so that means there's nine in the uh, Eastern Conference and 13 teams in the West. The restart seems to be... Uh, targeted for july 31st so that's still like a solid seven weeks from now and um and yeah so i mean first off you've seen some of the plans of how they're going to do this return and things like that do do you feel like do you you feel like this helps or hurts the raptors i feel like i let's start there um here's the thing they they have a lot of time off yeah uh but you know what we've also been very hurt the entire season that's true. So if this is a way that, you know, when we return to play, everybody is healthy, I mean, that's cool. You know what I mean? Uh, so it definitely helps in having, you know, full strength if this is going to be going forward because we, how many how many times have we seen the Raptors at full strength? It was five, right? Was it five lineups that we've seen at, like, at full strength for a starting five? Yeah, some some ridiculous number like that. I think yeah. the number was a, li- was a little bit bigger if you included Pat McCaw. But uh, I mean, I guess Pat <laughs> McCaw has to be included, though. Shout out to three Pat, man. Yeah, shout, shout out. Yeah, <laughs> three Pat better than two Pat. All right. Exactly. Um. Yeah. No, that is true. That is true. I think the the time off. I think is good. I think someone was telling me that they were listening to a Spanish podcast that had Marcus on. Um. And apparently he said he's he's been really keeping trim and he's been really working on stuff like that. So that's good. That's probably my biggest concern because I think, you know, um, just to put this layoff into perspective, like the Raptors yeah. put their last game on March 9th and they're restarting the season July 31st. So in between there, that's 143 days in between. To put that into perspective, last year when the Raptors won game six in Oakland for the NBA championship, that was June 13th. And then they finished uh, – and sorry, they restarted the season – uh, on ring night, they got the rings October 22nd. There was like 130 days in between. So we're talking about a longer Holy layoff crap. now than last offseason. And obviously the Raptors... Crazy. Yeah, no, it was nuts when I looked it up. And I was like, the Raptors, like, they needed this time maybe more than any other team. 
Um, yeah. You know, because you look at a guy like Marcus All, right? Like he plays this incredibly long season. He wins the championship. He gets traded midseason. And then he takes about a month off. And then he's playing preseason for like the World Cup. And he's going all over the world. You know, he's going to China. He's going back to Spain. He's going to, to Toronto. He's going to Quebec City. Then he goes from Quebec City to, you know, Tokyo. Then he comes back. Like it's, it's just an, uh, in, a hectic schedule the Raptors have played, and a lot of these guys have, you know, um, they, they need the time off. But I mean, at the same time, though, like you know, the time off helps other teams too. Like Boston, you know, mm-hmm. Kemba was dealing with a knee thing, Ben Simmons mm-hmm. is dealing with a back thing, so they're, they're healthy. And the one thing I don't like, I guess, is the potential schedules that have been discussed. So there's nothing um, officially uh, put out yet so far, but it seems like the the NBA may just allow the teams to continue playing their schedule, just minus all the. Uh, all the teams that have been eliminated, the eight teams, which is kind of hilarious, actually. <laughs> You're just telling them they don't matter. Yeah, it's just like, okay, yeah, you, you just stay home. It's okay. <laughs> you, you fought the good fight, but it's okay. Bye. It's like, no, just... I'm, they literally said I'm good. Like, Andre Drummond <laughs> got traded to Cleveland for not, for absolutely nothing, and he's yeah. been there for, like, two games, <laughs> and now his season is done. Now he's just chilling. He's chilling on Yo, the couch. Ch- they basically traded for a 10-day contract at that point. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the Raptors' potential schedule. So if they skip all the uh, the bottom eight teams, the Raptors will play Philly, Boston, Denver, the Lakers. And then this is where I've seen description in terms of just discrepancy as to, like, which teams are included. But uh, in one scenario, it's the Grizzlies twice and the Bucks twice. In another scenario, it's the Rockets, it's the Bucks, it's the Heat, and then the Magic. So – Either way, Ooh. really, really freaking tough schedules. Meanwhile, you got a team like the Celtics who somehow are playing the Wizards a bunch and then the the, the Magic, and it's it's unfortunate. But um, I'm sorry, the Wizards are still in contention by this new scenario, bro. John Wall's coming back, man. Come on, he oh might shoot god. nine of twenty five. You never know. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that. But then also, if you look at Brooklyn, that's Kyrie and KD. I don't know if KD is going to play, but I imagine that he will, maybe. Well, I mean, I I think Kyrie's out, definitively, because he really went under – he had surgery and stuff, so I think he needs time to really heal. And then I think for KD, if Kyrie's not there, does he really want to play? I'm hoping no, and I'm hoping – honestly, as a basketball fan, I actually hope he just takes his time and fully heals. Yeah. He's had two big, big injuries now. He broke his foot before this, too, so – yeah, I just want him to be good and play because he's he's an amazing player to watch objectively. But uh, that's a tough schedule, man. Philly, that Boston, Denver, tough. Lakers, Bucks, Rockets, Heat. Like, man, I hate I hate playing Miami. I've hated yeah. playing Miami this season. Those games are terrible. Yeah, well, I mean, there I was st- that one. though they shot like six of forty. Yeah, from I three. still remember that. That's a that's the exact <sighs> game I'm thinking of. I'm just like, yo, I'm so cheesed. I'm still. I, I still remember how angry I was when I was watching that game. I was just like, "Are you guys kidding me right now?" Mm-hmm. No, Six that was it. 40, 42? It was like yeah, forty three or something. It was like the worst three point shooting game maybe in franchise history. Good um, God! And the worst part about that game was because the Raptors defensively were so good, they were in the game the whole game. So you had to I keep know, watching. That's the worst thing. That was the worst. And they always be doing that. I'm just like, oh my God, can you guys just get blown out? But yeah. no, because the Heat were playing like trash too. So I'm like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, it's whatever. Like whatever. I honestly, I think you know, as much as you want to complain about things, and yeah. I, I think like you know, the Raptors obviously are going to a neutral site, so no longer have home court advantage, um, and it kind of sucks in that front because you know, the Raptors deserve some sort of award, and 
it seems like that, you know, teams might be, I don't know, drafting hotels rooms and some weird shit like that. That like, was the weirdest <laughs> thing that I read of that entire thing. I'm just like, wait a second. Hotels are even not, not even at an advantage? Like, that doesn't make no sense. Yo, you, you know that was LeBron, right? Of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was. <laughs> oh, man. No, they're going to be like, you know, honestly, they're going to give uh, playoff teams like uh, fast passes and everyone else got to wait in line <laughs> at the Epcot Center. <laughs> Gonna be like Wonderland. Oh, okay, but honestly, like because you're, like you know, part of your job, uh, a majority of what your job is is covering the Raptors and stuff like that. Like, but given the times that we're living in, like, how do you feel in terms of like you know basketball coming back? Mm-hmm. And you know, just like okay, I have to deflect to this thing now, and like. Where how, do you think that you found joy in the fact that it's coming back and it's giving you something to look forward to? Or are you just like, wait, but how do I do this? Like, how, like what's going on through your mind as you see this news as it's unfolding? Well, I mean, honestly, um, there's obviously so much else going on in the world, but I can't deny it. Like, I'm a like, I love basketball. I love the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Like, when I hear that they're gonna play, I'm excited. Like, mm-hmm. I'll write ten things and do like a thirty minute podcast on summer league. Like you know, <laughs> this, I, this is a lot better than summer league. It's, yeah. es- it's essentially summer league, and so, and and you know, honestly, and from like a work perspective, like yeah, I mean, this the past like year plus has been incredible for me, like um, career wise. I've been able to get to my ga- get to the into the arena, which was a really long struggle. Uh, but it's like, amazing you know, getting into the exactly or getting into the arena uh, and being able to like you know you know actually see these people close up and be able to ask you know questions and, and interview people and stuff like that that's all been great but um i've i've covered the raptors for a long time off yep. a tv screen off a computer yep. like prepared i'm going to get screenshots out there like just whatever man whatever you guys need i'm going to be doing that and yep. so um yeah i'm excited i mean it, it's it, it's it's just it's such a such a i don't want to say uncertain times it's such a weird corporate um, slogan nowadays but like yeah yeah it's 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 really unusual but you know I'm, I'm i'm excited like i always look at basketball as something that's a treat something that's like a real privilege and honestly yeah. the raptors is just a great team like i missed a team man like i don't want to see this team end the way it is because it's really yeah. feels like unfinished business you know yeah i i love this team too like i love this team one the last year's team last year we won the championship yeah. and i think it's just because of how we responded to, you know, Kawhi leaving and Danny Green leaving and just, like, the guys who have stepped up and just the heart that they play with, you know what I'm saying? And mm. Nick Nurse, like, just really challenging guys, openly challenging guys. It's like, listen, I'm going to call you out if you're playing like shit. You're going <laughs> to hear about it, and then next thing you know, Terrence Davis goes off for 30 points after dropping six. So I'm like, okay. That's cool. Norm was having like his best season and then couldn't stop getting hurt because Detroit all of a sudden turned into the bad boys Pistons again. Uh, so I'm like, okay, this is cool. Then Pascal making the leap and then Fred mm-hmm. making the leap and then Kyle doing what Kyle does. Us coming back down from 30 mm-hmm. for, for like, that was like a nothing game. They could have been like, uh, oh, you know, man. whatever. But they came. What? 30. 30. 30. And then on top of all that, we win 15 straight games. Like, yeah. what? Oh, man. What? Bro, that 15 game winning streak, man. Jeez. I was in the building when we set the record, when we hit 12. 
that uh, Indiana game. That was yeah. the craziest finish. I'm just like, yo, Serge look. hitting a game winner. <laughs> yo, I lo- I I'm pretty sure I almost fell off the railing in yeah. the 300s. I'm pretty sure I almost fell off because that was insane. I was just like, wow. Wow, these guys! I love this team. I love, I love them, and yeah, it it would have been a travesty to mm-hmm. see like you know the the season get canceled, but I would have understood just because of everything that's going on, mm-hmm. and at the same time, just like just how I've been feeling, I'm just like yo, I don't even care for basketball like that. Like even when Woj broke the news, like typically what would be like a Woj bomb, it was just like, oh yeah, okay, read the room, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So no, that's fair, man. That's fair. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. And then the other thing with the Raptors, I guess, uh, is so with the fact that the 22 game proposal has been put out there, this unfortunately officially means that Vince Carter has retired after 22, after 22 seasons. Exactly. Right. Because Atlanta obviously is one of those teams that are in the bottom. Yeah. Eight. Again, this is one of those things where you, you, you know, obviously you can't have foreseen like COVID-19 shutting down yeah. the entire world. But yeah. I mean, we've been. People have been wanting Vince to go to a playoff team because he doesn't have a ring, right? To to yeah. go out there and be on a bench, be a great veteran presence. He can contribute too. Like I'm sure Vince could play on the Raptors today, like in this year, and, and take some like um, McCall minutes, for example. Or, I mean, I guess they're, they're too different. Maybe like, <laughs> why is McCall old de facto? What, why is he the scapegoat? <laughs> he could have he could have taken some uh, O'Shea percent minutes and things like that. Uh, but like you know what I mean, like it, it's it's just yeah. unfortunate. But whatever, he's he's in Atlanta. He liked that situation, and now he's I guess retired. So I guess I want to ask you, like, what are some of your favorite uh, Vince Carter moments, man? Oh, Lord of mercy! So the crazy thing is, because the first Raptors game I went to was in two thousand and two. Um, we were playing the Alonzo Morning led Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, like you know, a bunch of my Vince Carter uh, memories came like like you know on TV, and yeah. you know, everybody knows where they were at when you know the, the dunk contest happened, and that's like you know the 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 a pivotal memory when it came to you know what Vince meant to the city and what meant and, and meaning to us. Um, I was kind of young. Uh, for the 2001 series, but I do remember, like, you know, him missing the shot, and I was just, like, upset about it, but I'm just, like, mm. I gr- I was raised more as, like, a football fan than a basketball fan, okay. so I didn't have, like, the gut-wrenching, like, uh, hurt mm. um, that everybody else did, but at the same time, like, I, I ride for this team, mm. like, you know, through thick and thin, but my memory is, like, when he was a net and then going to oh. those Raptors games... And then booing the hell out of him, but then him breaking our hearts. I was just like, those are like really those vivid memories for me. I'm just like, did he have like uh, a buzzer beating alley oop? Yes, to win the game. <laughs> like, yo, I hated uh, this guy. Man. I hated this guy. So, I hated this guy so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew how much he meant for the city. I was just like, when he was a net, I just hated him. Mm. But then I'm glad that like you know that hate like kind of disappeared and all other yeah. stuff. And then just found that. Uh, that gratitude and appreciation for him that he really he deserved because of what he did for Canadian basketball, not just mm-hmm. Toronto, but Canadian, you know? Yeah. No, I, exactly, man. And when you think about like Toronto, it's weird because he's, he's, he's from Florida. Like he's, you know I mean? Yeah. He's fully an American and everything like that. But like, you know, in terms of like Toronto culture and things like that, like Vince is one of the first things that people gravitate towards, you know? And um, yeah, I mean like, remember when uh, him and Mo Peak got into that little like playful slap fight and then they ejected yep. Mo Peak? 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Stupid. Those games were always wild when when uh, when Vince would come back to Toronto, and it's it's kind of unfortunate, but it, it was kind of heartwarming to see a couple years. Ago, I think he was with the Grizzlies. I think Mark was there too, but uh, yeah, Vince came back, and they, the 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 Raptors showed a I think twentieth anniversary in twenty fifteen, and they showed like a tribute video, and he got an ovation, and he was in tears, yeah. and, and it's it's been yeah. nice to see that reconciliation over the years to to get to the point where they are now. And for me, honestly, just, what were you? No, sorry, not to cut you off. I, I'm glad that. Vince still came to Toronto, and then we had a tribute video done. Shout out to Alex Cam. Uh, we had a video tribute done, so I'm glad that that was that was there because mm-hmm. Atlanta was supposed to come back again, yes. and we we're supposed to have another one. So I'm glad that at least that one came mm-hmm. to be, in, or and that they didn't wait for the the second visit to show the video because we wouldn't have had video. But they would have dropped it on social. But I'm glad that. He was able to still be in the building. We played a video for him, so that was good. Yeah, I think that was also the game where Kyle Lowry broke the assist record. Yeah, game number one in, for the Raptors. So it was nice to see Vince in that moment. I think it was nice yeah. too because Vince was hanging around, like he was shaking hands, like making making time to talk to Doug Smith. And those are like real OGs, you know. Exactly. Um, you know, Masai came over and like had a long conversation with Vince. You know, and he really took his time and really soaked everything in. So I'm really happy. I mean, obviously he thought he was going to come back one more time, but. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he made the most of that situation too. And for me, I was just going to say like, I, as a Raptor fan, cause you know, I emigrated to this country probably mm-hmm. at the 2000. So, I mean, I was the peak of Vince years, but I didn't have TV. I didn't have cable. So I didn't really watch. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the first year I started watching was like 2003, 2004. And that was the year yeah. Vince was like pretending injuries and like not playing yep. and not dunking. So yep. I thought, I thought I had this negative image. And I think one of the things I really appreciative of is, um, the NBA put out this, uh, Vince Carter Ultimate Toronto Raptors mixtape. Uh, it's very straightforward headline on YouTube, and it is so just like it's it's probably the best mixtape I've seen out of anybody that's not like Kobe or LeBron or or, or MJ because it's like the 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 types of dunks that he's doing. The people it's that he's ridiculous. Doing, it's ridiculous, and that's really where like where I grew my appreciation of Vince is just watching a lot of YouTube highlights. Uh-huh. It's like this guy was doing some. Yo, there's an alley loop that he caught it like behind his head uh-huh. because it was a terrible pass, but then he just slapped that. I was just like, this guy's insane. And then who can forget, you know, in the Olympics, he dunked over a dude who was seven feet. He fully jumped over that man. He jumped over Frederick Weiss, man. Like, um, and, oh, and, man. and that's the thing with Vince. Like, you look at the so when you watch this uh, mixtape, which I just rewatched, like you you see him dunking on literally everybody, and that I think that's yeah. also the great sign of just like you know that's part of his case for being the greatest dunker of all time is you're seeing the Kevin Matumbo, yep. Hakeem Olajuwon, Ben. Yep. I think Alonso. I think Alonso, Alonso Morning is so mad at him. Oh my god! <laughs> what he did to him as a member of the New Jersey Nets. Ah. He's it, still it, mad at him. He still tweets at him. <laughs> No, Alonzo's just like, yo, what did I do? What did I do for this? You know what it's you like, did for Alonzo? You decided you know not I mean? to come to Toronto, right? That's that's karma, <laughs> right? If you just come to Toronto, that wouldn't have happened to you. For real though, man. No one told you like no one told you to hold out, no one told you to to, to refuse to show up. Like that's mm. that's whack. So this is what yeah. you get. This is your karma. Yes. Correct. Yeah. No, that's one of the greatest dunks of all time. Because he it's almost like he posters him twice because he bodies him first. And Vince is a yes. smaller guy, but he bodies him. 
freezes him, yes. and then drops the hammer. And on then him. Dunks, I was like, oh, oh my god, god. It, it's rude. It's rude and disrespectful. Like yeah. I put that up there with like what Pippin did to Ewing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's it's really really rude what he did to him. Yeah. But like those the, the excite the excitement that he brought about, like that's what that's what Toronto's been missing for so mm-hmm. long, and that's why. When people like you know, when outsiders just like, why is everyone going crazy with like Kawhi? I'm just like, fam, we haven't had really anybody as exciting as Vince until mm-hmm. Kawhi. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, we're going to relish in all this other stuff and like the you know the double block uh, in the Celtics or the oh, no man. look steal mm-hmm. uh, against the the T Wolves, which is which is funny because that happened to Jimmy Butler. So Jimmy Butler really hated playing Kawhi that season. Amen. That was real satisfying because Jimmy Butler owned the Raptors for so many years, and then Kawhi comes and just dominates Jimmy. Butler. Listen, it wasn't that long ago that Jimmy Butler, as a Chicago Bull, dropped mm-hmm. forty in the second Bro, half. He broke a freaking Michael Jordan record. <laughs> like those are the things that you don't forget. I watched that entire game. I'm just like, this man uh-huh. had two points in the first half, and then he mm-hmm. ended up with forty. Okay, cool, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, though, that's the thing, though, because, like, for every other, you know, for every other team, for 29 other teams, it's like, who's the next Jordan? And for the for the Raptors, oh, it's who's mind. the next Vince for the longest exactly. time. Exactly. And you, and you think about some of the stuff that he did. Like, obviously, everyone knows that he put his arm through the hoop during the dunk yep. contest. He put yep. his arm through the hoop during a dunk in a game. Yes. <laughs> like, he, there's a, there's a, there's a dunk where he drives baseline, you know, past, uh, you know, Chris Mullen. Mm-hmm. Goes baseline, jumps up with two hands with reverse, and he pumps it below his waist in traffic in the middle of a game. Like I, I, I don't know how anyone do who's do, done that. How do you do that? You can't. Do, I don't really know who has the athleticism to do like that, or I mean, the or is, the creativity, man. Yeah, like, and and that's why that also adds to him being like the greatest mm-hmm. in game dunker or even greatest dunker of all time, just because of just the variety of things that he just pulled out of his ass, mm-hmm. out of the sky, just on the fly. You know what I'm saying? Like, even when he talks about, you know, the the, the dunk off, especially the first one, reverse w- windmill, it's just like, yeah, I just thought of that. Like, I'd never done that before. I was just like, okay, let me just try something. Like, yeah. what? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, and that's the thing. When you think about the number of athletes who can legitimately do anything within their sort of imagination, those are always the athletes that like really stick with you, you know, mm-hmm. like, like a Usain Bolt, like a, like a Michael Phelps or, you know, and Vince is in that category of just like, not, I mean, not in terms of accomplishments, in terms of the winning the sport, but in terms of the, what they did within that sport, it's, it's amazing. So salute Vince, um, you know, hopefully everything is forgiven. Uh, Vince's jersey is probably going to go up in Toronto. We'll see. Um, but uh, Okay, but here's the thing. How are they going to do it? Do you think that they're, like, obviously, I, I know I work for MLSA. I could ask mm. these questions, but I'm just like, wait. But yeah. I, I, I just want to speculate. Like, all right, you see how the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have, like, you know, the player, and then they have their name, and then they have their number, and a lot of players were the same numbers. So mm-hmm. because... Oh, wait, what, what, what are you going to do? You're going to retire Anthony Bennett's Raptor jersey? Like, wait. <laughs> Because when you really think about 15, really only one player should have won 15. Nobody else should have won 15 after Vince left. But then we had, like, you know, Amir Johnson. And okay, Adam. Amir Amir did his thing. I, I, he did. He did. But he was not Vince. He was not close. Exactly. So it's just like, do you retire his name and number like that? And then if Amir gets retired, like, do you retire his name and number? Like, how the Leafs have it? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you think? 
Well, I mean, honestly, for me personally, because I'm sitting up in media role all the time, and that's like even above the 300 level. Like at my eye level, from the media role perspective, all I'm seeing is like the the CEO board of like most Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> <laughs> like salute Matt Sundin, um, but like oh, everyone else up there, I'm like, what is going on? Man? Like, so, I don't know who y'all are. Like I, I, I was just saying, like I'm like I I mean I didn't only watch the least avidly for like four years. Yeah. So if it's not Thomas Caverly, I don't know you, but like. Like, I don't know, man. It, the, the sections up there, like, I, it would just be nice to see, you know, anybody from, honestly, the last, like, century. Yeah. <laughs> yo, there's some people up there. I'm like, yo, what is this, man? Just listen. I look like I'm I, in a history book or something. Like, <laughs> they're listen, all black and I, white. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, wait, we have nothing of color. Literally nothing of color here. I'm like, all right, cool. I've been in, listen, the first, I, I just saw uh, a Tim Horton highlight, like, a month ago for the uh-huh. first time ever. I'm just like, wow, this guy actually... Like, I watched footage yeah. of the 1967 Stanley Cup playoffs. I was like, I mean, the finals. I was like, wait a second. This footage exists? Yeah. And I'm looking at it? That's nuts. That's crazy. Yo, man, yo, man forget people of color up there, man. You don't even have color photography up there, man. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a real issue. So, and it, look, it's, it really it's an issue because the Leafs haven't had that many great players over the years. I mean, not over the years, but especially recently, so... Yeah, I mean, the Raptors have had a lot of notable names. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what they do with Vince. But I, I think whatever happens, like, they've been leading towards a situation where slowly they've gotten the fan base to sort of forgive. There are people that are never going to forgive Vince for, uh, you know, leaving the team the way he did. Um, mm-hmm. Me personally, in looking back at the situation, I think, mm-hmm. you know, there was failures by management. There was failure by Vince to, um, you know, commit through all of that. And everything like that. So everyone has has a fault. But I mean, ultimately, what's the point of holding this grudge? Like he's such an important player. So I don't know how you could talk about the history of the Raptors without Vince Carter. So he should be up there in some sense. Um all right, lastly, before we go, man, we talked about this out top, but what what is the Yo Sticks podcast and and what are your hopes with it? Because I again I listened to the first episode. I guess I guess the first episode was kind of just was like a monologue. So I listened to the second episode and I did not expect uh what I heard. It was a real heavy conversation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so what what's what is the podcast, man? Alright, so um as you stated, it's called the Yo Sticks. It's because like, you know, that's how I'm pretty much just addressed, like, yo sticks, what up? So I'm just like, all right, just gonna pretty much have that as a calling card and that's how I start off every uh every podcast. It's like you and but they're, they're it calling is... you sticks because you got uh, the Chris Boucher frame, is that what's going on? <laughs> Well, that's been my nickname since I was 10 years old and I was a skinny kid. I put on okay. some weight, but at the same time, yeah, I'm just skinny. My uh, One of my boys like called me a stick and he's like, yeah, it sticks. I was like, all right, cool, fine. 10 years old, it, mm. it, it works. I'm going to just run with it. Um, but it is dedicated to um, having a series of conversations that are directly tied to like you know my life and the intimate a personal conversation that I have with my friends and just like bringing them up to like, you know, a, a podcast level. So, you know, that first episode with the, with my, uh, my guest Martika, you know, talking about separation and divorce. And that's something that I actually, you know, dealt with uh, like recently, but in order to share a space with somebody who has gone through that, who is also my friend, that it was a very like, you know, intimate and vulnerable experience and just having that conversation and 
you know, really enlightening a lot of people to, you know, a, a lot of different concepts that they don't necessarily think about on a day-to-day basis. And really, it's just going to be a bunch of conversations and different topics with people that I know, uh, whether they're uh, family, uh, friends of family, um, you know, classmates from high school or friends from my college or whatever, or colleagues uh, that I work with now or have worked with in the past. And just like, you know, kind of just keeping on a personal level, just like really candid conversation, but really introspective, just given, you know, how quarantine has made everybody like sit and reflect and really analyze who they are and their behaviors and what they can do to be better people. So, and, and it's really just serving as an extension of therapy for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I started therapy in November and it's really transformed my mind and my emotions and allowed me to be uh, vulnerable and transparent. And I think that it's just like, you know, me owing it to myself to, you know, just speak. And I feel comfortable to speak. It's what I love to do. And so I was just like, you know what? All right, let's do it. And mm-hmm. shout out to, uh, you know, my great friend, Tony, for pushing me to creating this podcast. And um, that's where we're at now. I'm just thankful. I actually have, a, you know, new episodes dropping on Thursday. So at the time of that we're doing this, it's a Wednesday. So a new episode will be dropping tomorrow. So it's great. It's fantastic. All right, man. Honestly, like, you know, these are some of my favorite types of podcasts when it's like, like really personal and really, um, I don't know, there's not like not a pretense or subject, I guess, that you Mm -hmm. have to talk all the time. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, people always make this meme of just like, okay, all right, you want to start a podcast, you're going to talk about your feelings, you talk about your life. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I like hearing about people's lives, you know? So, yeah. Um, and I, and I don't talk about my life a lot, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that, that episode, a lot of people were just like, holy crap, like you went through all that. I'm just like, yeah. yep, sure did. <laughs> but I, I keep a lot of things inside, but I'm always an ear to a lot of people, but it's just like, I don't talk about myself a lot. So I'm just happy to talk about myself, but with people who I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? And just to get, more conversation out there because every episode is unique in a way it's like okay this is what our experience was working together or this is what our experience was like you know when we met as friends we were clubbing or this is our experience going through these traumatic situations so it's really like a lot of that so i'm just looking forward to uh, all the stories that come to be and just like whatever lessons that i can like put out there and for it to serve as a helpful outlet, you know what I'm saying? Or if you just really just want to listen to a nice conversation while you're doing nothing at all, you know what I mean? Like, it's not anything that I'm looking uh, for it to be on this big giant platform or I want to make so much money off it. Like, no, I'm not trying to be funny or anything else. I'm just like, I'm just being me. At the end of the day, that's just really what it is. And I'll be comfortable with the people who make me feel comfortable. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, definitely go check out the Yo Sticks podcast, uh, that sticks with two X's instead of CK. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, lastly, I guess circling back to sort of, you know, everything that we talked about up front and about just everything that's going on. Um, I just want to say like, look, man, if you feel like you want to take action because you're seeing what you're seeing and it's, Mm -hmm. it's upsetting you. That's, I mean, it should upset you. These are things are objectively upsetting. It's not even political when you see something like police brutality. It's just like, like a human rights kind of issue. Uh, when you when you know you see these things, you want to take action. Like just let's just do it. Like stop focusing so hard on trying to do like what you think will be seen as the right thing, and um, just do what you think 
is good. Like, don't try to be necessarily, don't think so much of like, what is an ally? What is, you know, what does that mean? Just try to be a friend to the situation. I think that probably solves a lot of the issues. And, you know, donate to Black Lives Matters Toronto, donate, you know, wherever you see mm-hmm. is, is doing good work, you know, check in with your friends and, and check with your friends, honestly, check your friends who are too yeah. comfortable, you know, your older family members who don't really know anything. Yeah. We're yeah. on Facebook a little too much. Um, <laughs> you know, make conscious choices as to what you're consuming like, and, and who you're following and just like what kind of message you're taking in. And, and, and really, honestly, if you're, if you're not the one being affected right now, like don't make it about you. Don't center you make space for that person. Exactly. And don't yeah. be afraid to challenge people. Don't be afraid to challenge your employers, your fellow employees, uh, your colleagues, your friends, like, challenge people to be better and challenge yourself to being a better ally and so that you can help create space for those who uh really need it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah there you go so jordan thanks so much for coming on the podcast um what do you want to do is anything you want to plug aside from the podcast like follow your twitter account or whatever your twitter account's been great man i mean honestly like (laughs) i'm learning a lot but i'm also this is one of the times I'm thankful you have like uh, 300,000 tweets or whatever. <laughs> it's 900. It's about 970,000 oh now. Yeah. You got to so make I'll, that you got to make that million one count, man. I nah, I I'm under a lot of pressure because like, you know, shoot, I don't I don't know what my million tweets going to be, but you know, uh-huh. it could just be anything, but uh honestly, I really just have n- nothing more to promote, but um yeah, please look into all the organizations the links are out there. The petitions are out there and just focus on, you know, really being a better person for yourself and others today and tomorrow. So that, you know, the, uh, love is the answer really. And that's how we're going to get through all this. And that's how we're all going to help make the world a better place, the world that we actually want to live in, not only for us, but for future generations to come. All right. All right. So thanks everyone for listening to the Raptors of Everything podcast, and uh, I'll be back next week, probably to discuss what the season looks like once it restarts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.